Well, hello, Chris. Hey, John. I think you have a cold, and I'm kind of tired. So this is going to be a great episode of Saul Searching. Yeah, it sounds exciting. I guess a question a lot of people might have is, why are we having an episode like this of Saul Searching at all? It, it's not a regular episode. There has not been another episode of Better Call Saul since our last episode, which covered um, 5.0, which was episode 6 of Better Call Saul. But um, this is episode 6 of Saul Searching. So what's going on with our numbering, Chris? Where did we go wrong? First, we started our show before Better Call Saul, and cleverly, uh, we called our first episode Episode Zero. So then we'd be in sync mm-hmm. with them with our Episode One. But then they trickily put out Episodes One and Two on two consecutive nights, so we wanted to do one episode for that. And so then our Episode One—this is just way too— time-consuming. So by the time we were doing our episode two, they were on their episode three, and it's never lined up since. Right. And you and I may be the only people in the known universe that care about such silly things, such as the internal numbering disparities on our podcast titles. Uh, (laughs) But it bothered us, and we talked about doing a bonus episode, and then we actually cooked up some, uh, some pretty nice content, I think, for a bonus episode that we might not have had the time to squeeze in if we were just sticking to our regular recap format. So... So this is uh, a bonus episode, and I, I mean, should, we should just get it started, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I, I mentioned we have some interesting content on this episode, and I think the first thing we're going to get to here, we we're, we actually have a recap we're going to do, but it's not going to be a recap of a Better Call Saul episode because we've already done all those. But we're going to recap an episode of Breaking Bad. In fact, we're going to do the episode of Breaking Bad that was called Better Call Saul, and it was the first appearance of Saul Goodman, a.k.a. Jimmy McGill. Uh, but we're going to get to that after this next segment, which is, Chris, are you ready? Uh-huh. It's an interview with Aaron Couch of The Hollywood Reporter. Oh, uh-huh. Aaron Couch covers a lot of great shows for The Hollywood Reporter, and he does great coverage of Better Call Saul every week, where it seems like every week he has at least one interview with someone who dealt with that episode, whether it's a writer or a director or an actor who was heavily featured. And it's always been really good, and I've enjoyed reading those articles before we record because there's always some insight. In fact, I probably have quoted his articles uh, more more than a few times as we've done these episodes. So it was great to get a chance to uh, talk to Aaron. And he gets to talk to all the the people involved. Yeah, he does. He's basically got all the, you know how we've we've stressed, there are other podcasts and other outlets that have much more uh, insight into the show than we provide. Um, And I don't know why we stress that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should listen to mine and Aaron's conversation. I'll I'll tell you, it was a fun chat. You know, he was kind of reluctant to speak as as an expert. He seems to view it very much as a fan. That's cool. Let's hear that interview. I started off at The Hollywood Reporter about three years ago doing general stuff. And, uh, you know, every now and then I would write about SNL or something. But um, as far as more having more of a concentration on television, it's been about the last year and a half or so, maybe two years. I covered the final eight episodes of Breaking Bad. So that was, um, as you can imagine, that was a ton of fun just because there was so much interest in, um, you know, fans were so hungry for any details about that, that it, it was, uh, it, it was kind of a rush getting to write about it. It kind of seems like we're used to nowadays, this idea of, of sort of uh, analyzing and dissecting a television show on a weekly basis. 
Um, and, uh, you know, some creators like David Simon, I think, is pretty vocal about not liking the idea that people are going to like grade episodes <laughs> of a show. The access you have to the, to the people that work on the show, it serves the purpose of being promotional and of kind of being tidbits for the fans. But both that podcast, everything is kind of part of just keeping the conversation going. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, we'll look at uh, you got a podcast about a, about a new show. So uh, that, that I think that's that is definitely true. And a lot of it is, at least what I kind of like to do is, um, you know, the, the interview post-mortem with the writer or whoever uh, on the episode, it's kind of like an instant um, director's DVD commentary. You, as soon as the episode's done, you can log in and see what, you know, the, you know, last week we had, or yesterday we had Jonathan Banks or something. So whatever they, they have to say. So as you say, it is instant and it's uh it's not enough just to watch a TV show anymore, apparently. <laughs> are there certain shows that are particular favorites of yours? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all the best, um, or at least as far as the ones that are really fun to write about, there are a lot of great ones. Um, Breaking Bad was definitely one, Game of Thrones, um, anything where it's re- you can go really deep into it. But I also really enjoy, you know, kind of writing these um writing about superhero shows like um, Arrow, Arrow or Flash, which, which is just a lot of fun. It's not necessarily as dense as something like Game of Thrones or Better Call, Call Saul even, but, you know, it, it, it can still be fun to dissect. Flash is very fun and pulpy, and I think that it's fun to see, see how comic booky they will go. So yeah, like I have a seven-year-old son that, that really enjoys Flash. Yeah, and I enjoy it too. So it's, it's a lot it, of fun. it kind of feels. I feel like it's a it's a type of show that kind of family fun adventure show that I remember watching when I was a kid, and I love seeing that that somebody's making it now. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad to hear your son likes it. I think it is a good, uh, definitely family friendly type of thing. You know, so it's, it's good they have that. Well, so do you get a sense in your kind of coverage of these shows when the people involved are really excited about the the product, and does that does that have any kind of a bearing on the on the fortunes of the show? To mm-hmm. your experience, when the people involved are really are really into it, I think everybody. It's hard to say because everybody says that they're so ex- really excited about <laughs> every show that they're on. I think yeah, with obviously. something <laughs> like uh, you know that I think the difference for some of these shows is if you talk to you know. Vince Gilligan, he always says we're, that they're, they are blessed because they get to do fewer episodes and they have a longer time to, you know, write them. So I think that, mm-hmm. you know, you get a sense that they are excited in, in that sense that they can put out something that's so high quality because they have the luxury of time where they're not, you know, maybe uh, putting out 22 episodes a year or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think everybody definitely better call Saul. You can tell that they are very excited and, and uh, love what they're doing. Even in relation to Breaking Bad, which as as excellent as it was, it had a track. It had a beginning and an end. And you kind of knew all along like what the end point was going to be, in a sense. We didn't know exactly mm-hmm. what it would be, but we knew that the transformation of Mr. Chips into Scarface had been the, the, the often quoted line about you know what their mission was with the show. But I feel like with Better Call Saul, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they have some plans, uh, but it feels so much more wide open to me. Like, I don't know what the end point is, because even the end point, which in this case was that, that cold open of, of Gene, the Cinnabon manager, sitting there in his little lonely apartment, like, 
that was that opens up a whole another vista of storytelling that they could get into if the show goes on and on. I don't know. Do you have any sense of whether the whether there's an end game? Is this supposed to keep running, or are they looking at two seasons, or or do you have any impression of that? I'm sure. Yeah, that, no, that's a really good point. I think that's so interesting that uh, you feel like it's more open because I, I do know what you're saying. You know, with that, even though we have seen the end point, um, I think that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I imagine they're going to want to go for uh, beyond the two seasons. And I think that they are, you know, they've pretty much said, they've strongly hinted that they're going to go beyond that Cinnabon scene. So I think that, uh, I think we're going to be surprised with, um, with, you know, what we end up seeing because who knows, I, I think there'll be more, uh, more to come that, that we don't anticipate. Cause just looking at how it is now, um, there's a lot of possibilities where they could they could even include Chuck and, and those guys into the Breaking Bad timeline where, you know, it, how fun would it be to see how they react to the Saul Goodman um, days and things like that. I don't know if it crept up on them, but it certainly crept up on me what a, a heroic character Jimmy McGill could, could be. And so then seeing that, he, knowing he's going to end up as Saul, it's not the same thing as, as becoming, you know, a murderous uh, drug lord or whatever. <laughs> but it is sort of disappointing to, to, to think, well, maybe when he's in that Saul period, that that dark side that we see him fighting has kind of won. You know, because he's not just like a sleazy lawyer to criminals in, in the course of Breaking Bad. He's constantly like counseling that someone get murdered and, and that sort of thing. And and it's for me trying to reconcile that with the Jimmy that we've gotten to know. I see the the moral stakes. Yeah, Jimmy. There's a real sweetness to Jimmy, and he you you feel bad that he's going to be the guy who says, "Oh, we should just kill Badger," you know, immediately when we in the first episode we see in Breaking Bad because Jimmy yes. is a sweet guy, but uh. Yeah, as he said, as you know, as Bob Odenkirk has said, Saul Goodman is a an act. It's a persona, but he's still doing all those things. He still he doesn't murder anybody that we know of, but he seems fine with the idea of murdering somebody. So I agree with you. That's that is interesting. We don't know what Saul was doing when when Walt and Jesse left his office. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My uh, uh, Twitter buddy Brian, who tweets a lot about Breaking Bad, was was floating that idea to me and I think that is uh very interesting that's 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 definitely a, a possibility and um I think the great thing about these guys is we can't predict what they're going to do because Better Call Saul is already quite different than I imagined you know and I'm sure probably the same for you so um I, I just can't wait to see what they do with it I do think it's interesting that a team like this would come back and their next big project after something as critically acclaimed as Breaking Bad would be a spinoff that seemed so risky to me it doesn't feel like it exists as like an appendage to Breaking Bad. And obviously after the episode that just aired, I mean, we knew this would be a Mike episode, but I don't know if I knew the extent to which Saul was going to be a bit player. <laughs> I did not know that, no. <laughs> what did you think of Five O? I think it's probably the, you know, I think a lot of people agree it's the best episode so far. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, just Jonathan Banks was so good and the writing was so good. Um and to have Saul be a bit player, uh, he was. It makes me excited to see. Okay, well now, what can we do if we get Jimmy in there and Mike in there, really together for a whole episode? Because now we we still haven't seen that. So hopefully that's next week, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, what what was your, kind of your take on it? It was kind of everything I thought it would be up until that last scene, which just 
tears your heart out. The only thing that is interesting to me is how many people are, are saying it's the best episode yet, because those first couple of episodes were so strong and so fun and so confident and took me to so many different places than I expected that I, I don't know, in a way I might like them better than this, uh, which 5.0 was excellent, but it felt like an excellent episode of Breaking Bad. I wonder how many people are wishing it was the Mike show. I, whenever someone says this was the best episode, I'm wondering, <laughs> is, the, is, the, is the audience at large not fully bought into Jimmy McGill as a compelling, dramatic lead? That's a great question about the Mike show. Yeah, I think that Mike, um, he, uh, he's so great because he's not gonna, going to give the half-measure speech or the speech at the end of this every episode because he can't or else it's not going to be that good. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think even if it, I think it's still the Jimmy show and I think, uh, I think that Mike will just, I think people are just ready for Mike to be a bigger part of it. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are floating the idea I, from what I saw, let's make it the Mike show, <laughs> which I don't quite agree with. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they really made the most of their Jimmy time this episode. Practically every line he had was quotable. You know, I, I love that he makes jokes in the moment so much. He's just a guy who doesn't doesn't control his mouth, <laughs> you know. And I also love the little beat where he he almost seemed hurt or confused that somehow Mike knew he would he would end up uh, what did he call it the Juan Valdez uh, bump and dump <laughs> that he knew he would do it. Yeah, and it's insulting that uh, he didn't need him for any legal expertise. Anybody could have done it. He just happened to be the guy that he could get into the room with him. So it's, uh, right. yeah, <laughs> that was, uh, that was a really good scene that I really enjoyed it. What have been some of your other favorite plot lines or scenes that really stuck with you thus far this year? Oh, well, I, I really like the, um, Hamlin to go blue, the whole, uh, billboard stuff. That was just, uh, re hysterical, you know, really funny. And of course I liked, um, episode two with Michelle McLaren directing the desert scene. I think that's a classic in the making that you know who knows how long the show will go for but if it if it goes five seasons or something people will look back at that as kind of a defining scene i think that was huge that was a huge moment and and yes again seeing that she was directing it i, I my i kind of perked up because i was like oh she was a very strong director on breaking bad and she's gone on to be strong in some other programs as well mm -hmm. uh, game of thrones yeah i think it was a two episodes last season that were just terrific so in that sense you kind of knew you were going to get something good, and yeah, everything right up to the sound design of when the when the breaking of the legs uh, is happening. I just felt like again, you're you're familiar with it. It felt like a desert scene you might have had on Breaking Bad, but the way that, that I was going to say Saul, it's very hard to remember to say Jimmy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but the way that Jimmy got himself out of it, it really did set up kind of the tone of this show, which is that Jimmy's not going to be the hero, in a sense. But he is going to try to broker the least horrendous solution. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely right. Yeah, he uh, and he does a, a heck of a job talking them down from a death sentence, as you said. As he pointed out, he's the best <laughs> lawyer in the world, from a death sentence to six months probation or whatever it was. <laughs> I didn't know if those twins were going to be a big part of the show or not, and I guess they could never come back, but throughout both Breaking Bad and this show, nobody feels like an extra. Talk about good casting, right? They get the... <laughs> For every character, there's a lot of care that goes into it. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that uh, yeah, those twins. I don't. Uh, I haven't. I don't know anything about them coming back. I I get the sense. I mean, I, I certainly. I don't think they'll be back this season. Um, I know just from. I know. I think they're guys based out of New York. Um, but uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun if they came back next season. And who knows? Maybe they're scared. 
I guess there's no reason they would ever want to work with Jimmy again, but <laughs> I would love to see that interaction for sure. Well, I mean, I, you know, as even though things went badly, I don't think he's above asking them or cajoling them or pressuring them. So I guess if he thought that those twins would be useful again, he might he might find a way to, to convince them. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he could. It's almost like that's his superpower is finding an angle that someone will accept. <laughs> He can sell them on, you know what, we, I almost got you killed and maimed, but uh, <laughs> this is why you want to do what I say this time. Yeah, he could definitely, I would like to see him try to talk, talk them into joining him. It would be very entertaining. Well, what's been uh, the biggest surprise to you thus far? I cheered when the Cinnabon scene happened. I was so happy. It's, it's very, um, you know, it totally made sense, but it was just cool to see that world after Walter White's dead and all that stuff to see life did go on. Um, and I, I think, I think that the, all the, uh, the, the billboard and him doing all that stuff really surprised me as well. So those are two of my favorites. Yeah. It's funny that opening scene was so like, I felt when we got that little vignette with Mike in the, at the end of, um, Alpine shepherd boy, I felt like that was the sort of Mike equivalent of the the Gene at Cinnabon montage mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show because you're seeing someone kind of at a point where they're alone and they're just thinking about what's going on and things aren't quite right. Yeah, like I didn't really think of Saul as kind of a tragic character. No, <laughs> at the end at the end of Breaking Bad, but seeing him in that state, I I realized I want to see that sad sack sitting there in the recliner watching his old commercials. I want to see him bounce back, and especially if you realize we don't really know what he was all about during those Saul years. Yeah, I mean I don't want to see them cheapen the end of Breaking Bad, but I think bringing Jesse into Gene's world. Uh, is is a kind of interesting concept. Like you know, I, that's almost the only way they could do that would be to have him have him be himself now instead of playing like what an 18 year old i just don't we all remember what young aaron paul looked like (laughs) (laughs) yeah what's great is that i i do trust them to not bring brian and aaron back unless it would be cool um yeah i don't really see how it would be (laughs) good but if if they do come back i will if they announce they come back i'll be a little worried but i will also think wow well i can't wait to see what they decided to do because they must have a good idea or or at least you know be confident in their idea because they're not going to do it as a stunt i don't think so i i would be excited it would almost feel like they were they were breaking glass in case of emergency or something if they stuck those characters in there <laughs> yeah. you know we saw the story of walter white and I, I i do think that breaking bad was remarkable in terms of how it stuck with one storyline from beginning to end and at the end of that show you really felt like you had seen the story that they set out to tell i know that um some people not everybody's happy with um, kind of better call Saul. I have some friends that are big Breaking Bad fans that are either kind of lukewarm to it. You know, I have a few friends that really like it and then a few that are lukewarm and then a few who barely want to watch it. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, a mixed bag. Um, but yeah, huge creative challenge to follow up Breaking Bad, obviously. And um, But it, yeah, it's definitely met my expectations and exceeded them in a lot of ways as far as, wow, they... This is a lot different than I expected it to be, which is great. Were industry expectations kind of low? Because I remember hearing some scuttlebutt that it was supposed to be a bomb, like shortly before it premiered, mm-hmm. and I, that was kind of surprising to me because I thought that, you know, I thought it had a pretty good shot of at least in February of kind of capturing an audience that was going to be starved for something new. I think it's uh, it's definitely definitely seen as a success. Um, you know, you, you have to remember that, you know. 
AMC now has a bankable drama on Monday nights. It opens up a whole new night for them as far as, you know, they've, they've got a spot there that beforehand wasn't really um, necessarily doing anything or doing much. So, so yeah, this is definitely a win. I mean, obviously the numbers were huge um, with The Walking Dead. Um, that did help. But, you know, it's been, uh, it's been doing, doing well. So I think that uh, I think it's definitely a win. It, and if AMC has, you know, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould and those guys making a show... That's a win for them because they want to keep those guys in the family, obviously, because they're the, uh, you know, bad men's going away. So having uh, having Saul probably makes them feel a lot better. Someone said only a couple million people watch Mad Men, but they're all critics. <laughs> That's a good one. And so you get this perception of it as this monolithic thing, but really something like Walking Dead, you know, gets two and three times the, the ratings. Oh, more than that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, what a huge show that is. So AMC is now in the in the business of kind of spinning off these these huge shows. But in the modern era of kind of prestige television, I don't think you've seen somebody sort of of the, the Peter Gould, Vince Gilligan caliber take on a spinoff. It almost seems like a debased form <laughs> on television. <laughs> I wonder if maybe that kind of underdog quality is part of the overall effect of the show. That's a really, yeah, that's an interesting point. I, yeah, that, that could have something to, to do with it. And I think very, very interesting thoughts about spinoffs because who knows? I mean, yeah, as you say, you would think that is kind of uh, beneath them, but, you know, who would have said having a shared movie universe with superheroes is a good idea. Now everybody wants to do shared universes in, in movies. So maybe spinoffs are going to be the next thing in TV. You never know if, if all these things work out. Um, and The Walking Dead one will definitely be something to watch to see how that does. But I, I imagine it's going to be big. Do you find yourself uh, getting ready to watch this show on Sunday and then realizing, uh, wait, it doesn't come on tonight. It comes on tomorrow. Every every week I get excited. I, I'm just programmed to think good shows come on Sunday. I guess I'm, I guess I'm used to it by now. I think that that's the case with a lot of people, though, because, yeah, most of many of my shows would be on Sunday. So I I haven't really – I don't remember the last time I had a show that I was watching on Monday. So Is that a conscious thing, do you think, on, on the part of AMC to try to develop a new night that is a destination night? That, that's big if you uh, if you've got this real estate – Suddenly, it's more valuable. That's uh, that's a very good thing. Because when I first saw that, I was wondering, oh wait, are they kind of burying it, you know, on Monday night? But it seems that they're that they believe in it. And I guess you're right. They want to they want to stay in cahoots with Vince Gilligan too. So yeah, yeah. It's de- I, I would definitely not see it as a burying. I think it's a sign that this show is strong enough that we think we can put it on this night and people will watch it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of that's kind of my take anyway. You know, I, I think. I think it's it's definitely a really important show for them, for sure. Um, and it was put out with a lot of care. You know, they they allowed him to uh, Vince and Peter to have more time delay the delay the uh, premiere a little bit because they want to do this one right. I think it, it, it's in, they're very invested in its success for sure. Because as as we said, um, with Mad Men and Breaking Bad being done, they gotta they gotta be planting seeds for their next big things you know part of my fear of all these ongoing things is and this is going to sound kind of strange maybe but i like it i like it 
when things I like end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like a trilogy that's over and you can look back at it and say that was good and you can move on and you can put it in a little box, you know? Um, so the notion yeah. of like a great show ending after five seasons and you saying, okay, good. That was, they didn't mess, they didn't mess it up and I can, I can be glad. Yeah. And then it's like, well, we're going to continue with this or that. There could be the worry of diminishing returns. Again, somehow with this team, I didn't worry too much about that. But in the long run, it makes me fear that whatever that sense of satisfaction you might have uh, at the end of something uh, might be trumped sooner than than even the current cycle of everything being redone and rebooted. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I do agree with uh, with what you're saying. There is something nice about something just ending. Because speaking of spinoffs, you know, I watch Arrow and The Flash, and there's going to be a probably a third um, series set in that universe. So that'll be 60 episodes a year that I'm I'm going to be watching in this universe. So. Um, so while I am appreciative as a comic book fan of all this stuff, uh, I guess you have to wonder, okay, well, how, how much further is this going to go? So, so we'll see. When, uh, when Better Call Saul started, I was about halfway into that whole situation with Tuco. And I was rem- and I was remembering that Breaking Bad feeling I used to get. I was like sitting forward in my chair. Yeah. And I was so tense. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I forgot this is what Breaking Bad used to do to me. And I was almost mad. It's like, oh, it's back. That feeling of <laughs> what's going to happen, what's going to happen. They do tension almost better than anybody. I love how long they'll play out a scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They, uh, they don't shy away. They don't cut away if they don't have to, you know. Sometimes they'll do scenes longer than you would expect, which is uh, really cool to see. It usually turns out really well, I think. Yeah, sometimes you'll watch an old lady uh, come down a stair lift chair for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a great example of something that probably only they will do or should do. Right. You know? Well, I mean, but it, if you're watching that shot, it is fun if you watch what Jimmy's doing and kind of he's just as nervous and bored with what's happening as you are. And then when they reveal the table full of uh, of little figurines and you realize how many times she has perhaps had to go get something and you realize Jimmy's <laughs> Jimmy's really putting in a hard day's work <laughs> to get that 140. That's a really good point. I hadn't even thought about how she's probably been doing that <laughs> the entire time. He's a hardworking man. Yeah. <laughs> so do you ever get tired of watching television? Hmm. Well, I, uh, not really. I don't have to watch more than I need. Like, I think I write, I watch the right amount, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, mm, I think the best example is maybe I, you know, I, I write about house of cards and, and I didn't last year. So I actually, it wasn't part of the job. So I probably enjoyed it a little bit more because I didn't have to watch Mm -hmm. it. But I still enjoyed it. You know, I still enjoyed it. So I think that uh, the only the only downside is that I have to watch it um, in real time, meaning if I'm writing about it, you know, I'm not going to wait a week where maybe if, if I weren't writing about it, I could just let them pile up and then watch them a couple weeks later or something. So that's the only downside. But other than that, I don't really get too tired of it. It sounds like you're covering shows that you have at least a passing interest in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We all, um, if, we're, if we're writing about them for... Uh, the Hollywood Reporter, we all like the shows we write about. That's that's definitely a rule. I mean, we write about stuff for uh, for fans, so mm-hmm. you got to be a fan too or else it's not going to come off well. <laughs> so it won't work out. So yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Before we wrap it up, I don't know, is there any kind of uh, prediction or parting thought or, or hint of things to come or anything you'd like to, to share with, with our listeners about Better Call Saul? <laughs> well, God, you know, I, uh, I can't wait to... Uh, 
just to see what happens with Nacho because he that guy is going to be coming back. He's been sidelined for most of the season, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you get him, the combination of him and Mike and the Kettleman's, that's going to be a storm. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be pretty pretty interesting to see. Um, so yeah, I just can't wait for it to all kind of all the uh, all the work they've been setting up to come come together. Somewhere I heard Bob Odenkirk say that he told Vince Gilligan, don't forget, it's fun to watch Jimmy suffer. (laughs) And he said he meant everything from like existential dread to like banging his shin on something. (laughs) You know, he said, don't forget that like he's, he's the type of character that people love to see, like almost not do it, almost not make it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah, you're, you know what, that's a great point that any stuff I hadn't thought about, even just him hitting his his uh, his shin or something is really entertaining mm-hmm. all the way up to him begging for his or debating for his life arguing for his yeah. life so yeah <laughs> the poor guy is gonna have to suffer that's just a rule I think <laughs> yeah well at least he looks like a young Paul Newman dressed as Matlock that's one thing that he's got in his favor <laughs> <laughs> that I, I needed to, to I need to mention the Matlock suit. That is another one of my favorites. That's just so endearing. I I have not been disappointed in the number of schemes that he's gotten into. I'm hoping for, for more this season. <laughs> I agree. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you so much, John. It's been, uh, been very great uh, getting to talk with you about this stuff. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was cool. That was a good interview. Yeah, that came out nice. Aaron's a very nice guy. Let's get to our recap, Chris. This um, was... uh, Let's kind of talk a little bit about how we started off thinking we would do this. When we talked about doing this bonus episode to get our numbering right, um, we we briefly considered, or at least I had come up with the idea, that we would watch all of the Saul Goodman scenes from Breaking Bad, and then we would talk about just kind of what we knew about Saul from that show and compare it to the details we've picked up in Better Call Saul. And then I discovered that Saul was in 43 episodes of the show. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more than I realized. And I thought maybe the better idea would be to focus on one episode, the first episode that he appeared on, which is called Better Call Saul. It was uh, written by Peter Gould, co-creator of the show Better Call Saul. And I guess maybe that means Peter Gould was responsible for co-creating or creating the character of Saul Goodman. I didn't look into that too yeah, much. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's directed by Terry McDonough, who uh, has directed the episode Nacho this season of Better Call Saul. And he directed three or four episodes of Breaking Bad total. But the point there is, here's the beginning of a character on Breaking Bad, which usually the beginning of a character on a television show is them at their most broad and sort of ill-defined. And, the you know, on a television show, a character will evolve pretty quickly. Um, but in this case, we see the beginning of him on Breaking Bad is kind of the end point for the guy we're watching on Better Call Saul. So it, it really pointed out to me right out of the gate what a challenge the writers had as far as saying, OK, we're not just going to follow up on this character from this show. We're going to pick a character who who the broad outlines of him are. are so he's sort of a comic grotesque. I mean, in many ways, in that first episode, Saul Goodman represents the sort of sleazy lawyer caricature in a way i mean there's enough specific detail there well yeah you're seeing him at his simplest you know uh without all the layers we've come to start to figure out now but uh it wasn't that shocking he's still pretty close to himself but there's definitely some some differences we'll we'll get into as we go through it yeah 
Well, I'll tell you a few things that I learned about this episode just doing a little bit of research. Originally, the idea for the name was Saul Good, which plays off of the same It's All Good uh, uh, joke. But in this case, it wasn't It's All Good Man. It was just It's All Good. Yeah. And I think that was Vince Gilligan's idea was that he be named Saul Good. And it was someone else in the writer's room that, that you know came up with Saul Goodman. Because that kind of solved the additional problem of, well, maybe if he changed his name, he would want to sound Jewish, which is a which is a plot point in this episode. Yeah, or just adds that much, a little more joke to it. Another thing is that coming into the character, Vince Gilligan said that uh, Bob Odenkirk had a very specific idea about the hair. And they didn't really have any strong feelings about the hair, but Bob Odenkirk gave him an explanation of what he wanted to do. And they were like, yeah. And basically what Bob Odenkirk wanted was a kind of a quasi-mullet. He wanted like, you know, an extensions in the back to give him a little bit of a mullet, but not quite a mullet. And then he wanted him to have that kind of stringy you know, sort of what would be a comb over, but kind of hanging down, you know. Right. And it really is, again, contributing to this character as kind of a grotesque guy because he's constantly having to kind of push his hair back out of his face or it's falling down on his face. And you see the sort of awkward lengths of his hair. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I don't know that, uh, you know, I always love to hear of when actors think of that sort of thing that really defines a character, something you might not have imagined. But, you know, you hear about actors like getting the shoes and then they can build the character from that. But, right. But... It does seem like the hair might be sort of central to the exact kind of sleaze that Saul Goodman is. Yeah, it's definitely a certain, just a certain kind of a, certain kind of a weasel. This is the episode that introduces us to Saul. So it's the episode that introduces a conflict into Walt and Jesse's operation, where they really need to get a lawyer. And what happens is Badger gets busted at the beginning of the episode in a pretty funny scene where. He's just sitting on a bench that has a Saul Goodman ad on it. So you've got Bob Odenkirk's face there, and you've got, you know, Better Call Saul right behind him. And DJ Qualls plays a, an, he's an undercover cop and comes up to Badger. And there's a, just a funny exchange where Badger tries to ascertain <laughs> whether whether he's a cop. And, you know, he's, he's actually pretty right on the money with his theory because he sees a, a, a van parked down the street that he says is parked all inconspicuous-like. And, you know, he's pretty on the money with the fact that it's an undercover cop. But then he, he, he buys into that silly urban legend that if you ask a cop if he's a cop, he has to tell you the truth. Right. And I remember hearing that in college. And, you know, I don't know if it was until years later that I heard someone absolutely refute it. But it, it is true that, like, if you think about that, it's absurd because there's no way you could be an undercover cop if you somehow couldn't lie about that one thing. It makes right. a cop seem like he's, you know, there's some mystical power of having to tell the truth about being a cop. <laughs> it's like having to be invited in if you're a vampire. Right, exactly. It's the very same thing. But it's like, I, I guess cops can use that to their advantage. It's, there are people that think that if you ask them if they're a cop and they say no, that means they're telling the truth. Right. I thought they made use of that that trope well, which is to say, to show that it's absolutely not true, but yeah. that someone like Badger would believe it. Then we get a Better Call Saul commercial, which is actually playing on the uh, flat screen that's been recently installed in Jesse's new apartment. And he's laying there uh, with Jane. And I guess they're just on a sleeping bag on the floor and they're, they're post-coital. I thought it was noteworthy to see that Walt is at that stage where he's got the mustache but no goatee yet, and he's still wearing the kind of nebbishy, you know, uh, chemistry professor duds. So he was really in that mode still where he hasn't quite uh, like ascended to full Heisenbergness at this point. Heisenberg is a is is a name that he uses, but it's not something that he he kind of claims to be. Right. I think he's just thrown it out there a couple times, and it's been heard and it's been going around. But he, he I'm not sure if I don't think he's got the hat yet here, or if he if he does, he hasn't been. You know, going around, kind of getting into a real power trip with it. We have uh, Walt and Jesse money counting at Jesse's place. They're short because Badger hasn't kicked in his part yet, and we know why. And they find out why in the scene because Combo calls Jesse and tells him that uh, Badger got busted after Jesse really cajoles him. 
And, you know, Walt is, you see the sort of, at this point, we haven't seen Walt make extreme decisions that, you know, result in people's death yet, necessarily. Uh, But you see a little hint of Walt, like, it's not good that that it's Badger. And, you know, I remember watching this episode for the first time and being kind of worried for Badger, like, oh, he seems like the kind of dopey character that this type of show might might off as as collateral damage of just how things are getting worse. Right. Then we cut down to the room where they're holding Badger and the, the, the young looking cop. Uh, played by DJ Qualls. Young and very skinny. I mean, is there any actual... Uh, do they hire police officers who are that unlikely? And, you know, it seems like you would only do that if your your aim was, hey, you'll be a good undercover guy because you're so oddly skinny, no one will believe you're a cop. That's a good question. I guess maybe in this in the, in, in the, the world of this show, we can say that maybe he was cast because of how unlikely he looks. Right, right. But I, I, I guess you're right in the sense that maybe he is extremely unlikely and, like, you could push him over. You know what I right. mean? Like, you could sort of pick him up and carry him off or something yeah. like that. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, you know, he's young looking and immediately Saul comes in and starts busting on him for, for, for looking young. We find out uh, Badger's name is Brandon Mayhew. I don't know if we knew that before that scene, but I remember yeah, probably that being crucial because the name Mayhew is, is important later. Um, and then Saul's got uh, some wrong paperwork. He, he thinks that he's talking to Badger over uh, being busted for public masturbation. Right. And, and when, 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 when Badger explains, no, that's not what he's in for, uh, Saul says it's a transpositional error. Uh, nothing a, a little whiteout won't fix. Right. Which is kind of interesting because in, the, in an early uh, scene of uh, uh, Better Call Saul, we've got the uh, prosecutor who's mixing up people's names, and Jimmy is the one who... Uh, is being smart and has everything, uh, you know, knows the correct name of all the all the little cases he's dealing with, and uh, uh, but then on, on this they kind of had the excuse. Then a little bit later, we'd find out uh, it was his secretary's fault for making a transpositional error. So uh, it's not really like saying Saul is uh, out of it or mixing things up when you find that out. Well, if you you know you see how crowded his waiting room is. Yeah, that too. He has that excuse now. So you know that, like, you know, he's very. I mean, like to me, that just speaks to how busy he is. But yes, there's also a little. There's a little bit of an, uh, a little subtle semi arc with uh, uh, Francesca, the the mostly off camera character of the secretary. Um, and then he explains. I loved this detail that you know his his um, his loan out corporation that you know you make your checks out to is Ice Station Zebra Associates. Right. <laughs> that that would be the movie reference of the week. That's. Uh... From that, which I've never seen, I Station Zebra. And then he seems pretty intrigued by just the notion of what the feds would want with that little twerp. He doesn't know what the blue meth connection is yet. Jesse and Walt pulling up to Saul's office, it's got that uh, uh, famous line. When the going gets tough, you don't want a criminal lawyer. You want a criminal lawyer. Right. You know, that line is sort of like that's the nugget of, of what Saul is right. right there. And that's kind of what Saul sells himself as uh, later when he when he kind of presses Walt. So they flip to see who goes in. Walt loses. He wears a cap and sunglasses. Now, Francesca, we see her. She's sitting there. She looks pretty unimpressed with the situation. The lobby's crowded. We can hear America the Beautiful being piped in. It's just sort of awful <laughs> with the crying babies and everything. Yeah, it's just a terrible environment, but it, it, but it's so busy. It makes you wonder at what point is Better Call Saul going to uh, get to this kind of environment? Will it be close to the end or will it be soon where he sets up this office and, and actually has a lot of of clients coming in. Well, he comes into uh, Saul's office, Walt does, with the, with the cap and the sunglasses, and uh, Saul says, should I call the FBI and tell him I found D.B. Cooper? <laughs> right. 
Um, and then, you know, within that same conversation, they, they could do a little exchange. At this point, Walt's pretending to be uh, Mr. Mayhew, uh, Brandon Mayhew, or Badger's uncle. Right. And and he asks what kind of name Mayhew is, and they make a conversation about, about uh, have a little conversation about the name being Irish, and, and that's when uh, Saul tips that his name is McGill. He doesn't say his first name's Jimmy. I think that may have been the only time he mentioned that on the show. Yeah, I would think that would be it. Walt coughs again. Again, this is very significant that Saul hears him cough. Saul tips him off that the DEA's uh, focus is on Heisenberg. Saul, again, thinks he's talking to the uncle of Badger, not Heisenberg himself. So Saul really wants the, the kid to make a deal and to flip because that's what he usually can get people to do. And then Walt and Jesse, without speaking, they kind of formulate a plan, which we find out in a few seconds is to kidnap Saul. But I did love this little beat where Saul's coming out and, and Francesca's walking to her car. And he says, uh, Francesca, how about I follow you home? And she says, no. And then as she's walking away, he says, God, you are killing me with that booty. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which just kind of suggests like something that's never been followed up on about Saul. It seems that he probably has followed her home on another occasion, but we don't really know. Well, or at least she, she tolerates his quips. So anyway, they, they kidnap him. They take him out to the desert. He's freaking out. Um, he's very relieved when he finds out that they weren't sent by Lalo. Yeah, uh, and he's basically he says no, it wasn't me, it was Ignazio. Right, he was the one. So that gives us a clue. We don't know for sure that the Ignazio is is Nacho, but I, uh, you know, I I did confirm that Nacho is a pretty popular nickname for the name Ignazio. So whether they knew that or not, or whether that's coming to their attention now, it means that Nacho could sort of still be a character that's in play in the era of uh, Breaking Bad, which is just kind of cool and tantalizing. Right, or if it, if he's not if the same person, then. Ignacio and La- and and Lalo could, uh, you know, come up late in the series or in the middle of the series and still be there or whatever. Just just to link that up, you know, it's it's just a funny scene. Like I don't know what all you were gleaning from that, but I was noticing little things. Like I loved his snotty nose. I loved his his hair flapping in the wind and just how awkward and. You know, like, if Saul is not, like, a, a slick character in that scene. He's very he's very frazzled. It's always been one of my favorite Breaking Bad scenes because I love the fact that a guy is being intimidated at gunpoint and then he turns the, the scene around. Right. It does seem like that's a useful template for maybe what we can see uh, of, of, you know, the, the, the potential on Better Call Saul is of a character who gets backed into a corner. Right. He gets, yeah, from the lowest, thinking he's, you know, just about to die to... Uh, being in control of the scene and, and saying, you know, you guys uh, each give me a dollar and, and uh, I'm your lawyer now. He also refers to his bad knees as he's standing up, which is a theme they've called back to on uh, Better Call Saul. And um, I that, that put a dollar in my pocket and now everything is, is, is protected under client-attorney privilege. I wondered if that's not also kind of an urban legend along the lines of asking a cop if he's undercover. Like, right. I wonder if... if putting a dollar in a guy's pocket really activates any kind of privilege. Like, you know, if that, or if that's just him, if that's just, again, him being kind of a, a flim-flam man, but telling them something that he thinks they might want to hear because it, it's all about sealing the deal. He wants them to feel like they really they really uh, signed on with him at the end of that scene. Right. I looked at it more as just like ceremony. It's like, you know, you're, you're giving me this dollar puts me in this mode, you know, and now we've, we've sealed our little deal and, and I can be this person to you. Still, in, in that last moment, he says, uh, why don't you just kill Badger? Walt seems open to the shanking. Jesse's definitely not. Right. And then Saul kind of introduces this concept of, of somebody has to go to prison. Uh, it's just a matter of who. And that is what sets up the, the very clever bit of legal sleight of hand he manages to pull to, to get Badger out of trouble and to uh, you know sort of return the operation uh, to the shadows where they want it and not, not have their, their you know, a dopey 
likely to spill member uh, in the control of the cops for too long. Right. So Hank's questioning Badger, and and you know Badger's BSing about Heisenberg, and Hank's kind of saying, "I just need a name from you," and the name of the guy that he gives him is James Edward Kilkelly, who is nicknamed Jimmy In and Out. All that Saul needs for this is eighty k. And a pound of meth, <laughs> which at first I was like, why does he need the pound of meth? But now I'm remembering why, because they actually have to, uh, James Kilkelly has to be busted with some meth. So there has to be some meth involved oh, in right. that for it to really, but for a second I thought, is Saul already thinking of just investing in this operation in a, in a subtle way? Right. But I liked that he just reveals right off the cuff that of the 80K that they're giving him to set this up, uh, 50 of it goes to him. Yeah. Now that last time when he says, "You sure you don't want to?" And he, kind of, you know, when they're balking at the money, and he kind of suggests that they could still kill Badger. That to me felt like a performance. That to me felt like Saul knowing that all this time that he's been mentioning killing Badger, he's been pushing them towards something that benefits him more. Yeah, it's weird to see him suggest that as many times as he did when we've seen him as a, a younger, more more moral person, but. Uh, yeah, you don't know exactly how much it's a performance and, and or how much by this time he's become that jaded and is really ready to advise somebody to do that if need be. And he says something else that seems like an important thing. He's kind of twisting the knife a little bit when they dump the money out and he can tell they're not happy about it. He says, conscience gets expensive, doesn't it? Right. It's kind of like he's telling them, you know, if you're in this game, you, you need to really be that kind of a criminal. That's, there's reasons that uh, people get that hardened and uh it's kind of like when nacho uh came to him and said you know let me know when uh when you realize you're really in the game or whatever he, however he put it yeah it, it is it is a it's very similar to that and in fact uh, later on uh saul is even more so like really the like the devil uh trying to trying to coax walt further into this world right but the next scene is is one of the more memorable scenes i remember from this this phase of the show which is the the dea has Badger on the bench again. Uh, Jesse and Walt are watching with binoculars. Um, a guy who isn't Jimmy, an old guy who may fit the description that Badger had. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what Badger was looking for, but a guy sits down next to Badger who isn't Jimmy in and out. So, you know, this this idea of this, of basically like a botched drug deal that Badger is kind of supposedly luring Heisenberg into. Um, but we know the plan is for him to lure Jimmy in and out into that situation. Right. And then Jimmy in and out goes and sits on the other bench. So it's just a confusing moment where Jesse's got to get the message to Badger that he's talking to the wrong guy. And Walt has to distract Hank and uh, Steve and DJ Qualls. I wish I knew that character's name um, <clears throat> in the car. And it's just a funny moment because you see what a pro Walt is it, with just pulling off a scheme. You know, the way he pulls up in his little, in his little crappy Aztec. And uh, yeah. he says hi to Hank and Steve, and he couldn't be more like a dorky chemistry teacher saying, hi, guys, you know. Right, and he's so incompetent, and, and then, supposedly, at leaving when he's told to. Right. Uh, and uh, and he, see, yeah, he says, go, go, and he says, forward is better? I'll be for, out of the do, way do there. I back up? Should I back up or should I, yeah. Forward, forward is better, okay. Uh, um, and what's funny is, what's funny is that um, uh, uh, Hank... You can tell smells a rat with this whole thing once it goes down, but you can tell he still never suspects Walt. Like, that is Hank's blind side for the longest time, is that he just doesn't think his dorky brother-in-law could be anything but right. what he seems to be. Yeah. Um, I had forgotten how much dancing around Hank he had to do and how clever that got, but uh, that was a really good, fun instance. So, Walt at work is grading a chemistry test, and did you see what he was writing? He wrote, not even close, uh, <laughs> next to <laughs> someone's answer. That's good. I didn't see that. 
And Saul comes to see him, and he's blown away. He says, you really are a chemistry teacher. He's grinning. I mean, he's just like a wolf that's come into the house in this scene. You know, he's just going around. He's poking around, picking stuff up. He's, he's being so obnoxious. And again, I, I know it's hard to track this, but it helps me to think of this as the Jimmy McGill that we know. And it did help me to see those moments as a, as a performance. Yeah, he's taking pleasure in his own shtick. But I think we can definitely see that he has changed at least uh, a lot to be, to be in this place because the early Jimmy we know would not actively court a drug dealer as a client and say, hey, you're a drug dealer. I would like to represent you, drug dealer. You know, uh, so just just his actions here, just the fact that he's present in the school uh, means uh, he's changed a great deal. Right, you're right. The fact that he's kind of chasing this type of business. Right, and he might ha- maybe they will catch up to this point in the story, and maybe they'll we will know that he's got all these uh, huge, heavy reasons for needing money right now so badly that he breaks down and says, I'm going to pursue this drug dealer, you know? He's trying to get, like, a new fancy space blanket for Chuck for his birthday, and he needs $50,000. <laughs> Who knows? Could be anything. Chuck could be dead. Yes. I kind of hope not. But it would make sense for him to die if you think about it as setting Jimmy up to start out as someone who's conflicted between his own tendency to run scams and holding back on that and trying to go more legit for his brother and then to take the brother away so that he can plunge more in the direction of becoming the Saul that we know from this era. Do you have any other thoughts or uh, observations about this before we end this episode? Well, I don't know. Just a wide open question that might lead to too much speculation, but uh, thinking about um, Breaking Bad and the whole arc of of, uh, Walter White descending into the depths that he gets to by the last episode, it makes me wonder what's in the far-flung future for Saul. What what would be the end of his arc? Where's he headed at the very end of the show? Would he uh, have some redeeming adventure for Gene in the in the future that where he comes back to law or does something that sort of, you know, uh, gets him back to a, a place of happiness where he can have a happy retirement from law or, uh, I mean, I don't feature it being like a Walter White story where we watch him get lower and lower until it's, uh, the, rock bottom of evil and then and then he dies you know that's that's not where we're going but if you don't do that what do you do here's what i think about that i think that we saw him at his most evil on breaking bad right and that after that he's been on the run and that if there is an eventual endpoint that goes beyond the events of breaking bad my thought would be that that opening scene of better call saul sets up an arc of redemption for the character now i don't mean he becomes like a big hero i just mean that scene to me sets up a character with real pathos Walter White got a death sentence on the first episode of the show with the cancer. And watching this episode of Breaking Bad, I was watching Walter White and looking at him. He's much more of a trapped man than Jimmy is. Right. If Gene wants to come back and get his mojo back, I like to think that that's where the show would eventually leave us, would be showing us, you know, how Jimmy got his groove back. Right. So, I mean, I'm kind of hoping what you're positing is the way they go, is that they will bring back around some way of saying, yes, after the events of Breaking Bad, Jimmy McGill... Uh, you know, found his place. Yeah, I kind of feel like they would just have to set up something to where we get back into that time frame, and then he he gets a new dream. You know, I would, you know, I, if only I could end up on an island uh, with a, 
a coffee shop of my own, I would be happy, you know, whatever it is. And then you get him there, and then you have the end. They have the duration of Better Call Saul to develop whatever that is. It will feel earned. Right. So I guess I'm all tapped out on observations on uh, Breaking Bad Season 2, Episode 8. It's as hot as we're going to get it today, so hot talk. Hot. T-t-t-talk. Hot. <laughs> 